All right, well, open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. That's where we'll be today. And uh, I love that Eric gave a shout out to everyone. And I want to shout out Eric and Renee, who led worship this morning, because I woke up to a text message from our worship pastor who had to go in. Uh, he's a surgeon and a pastor, but as a surgeon, he got called into an emergency surgery, and so we were scrambling to find worship uh, for this morning, and they stepped in and did wonderful, and then uh, all the volunteer team that pulled it off, setting up, tearing down, resetting up, and let's be honest, tearing down again (laughs) later, and so thank you guys for those of you who have been serving so faithfully, and uh, yeah, give them a hand. I don't want to trip on these cords. So we are in Mark chapter 2, and if you have your Bible, you can open it there. Um, Again, if you need a Bible, uh, we would love to give you one, and uh, we also have on our worship guide the text for today. So um, let me pray real briefly. Lord God, open your word to us. Open our hearts to your word. Speak to us by your spirit through it, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we open God's word every single week in this church because we believe that God's word brings transformation into our lives, that when we draw near to God, God will draw near to us. And you know, I made a, few, uh, a point a few weeks ago that Jesus, um, you know, he plays a lot of different roles in our lives of who he is and what he does. For instance, as a teacher, he invites you to be his student. As a master, he invites you to be his servant. As a physician, He invites you to be his patient. That's what we're going to talk about today. I love that our physician worship leader wasn't here today with those who are well, but went to go be with those who are sick. That's what we're going to be talking about today. How apropos. So uh, Jesus is a savior. He's a king. He's a counselor. He's a shepherd. He's a husband. He's a friend. He is all these amazing things to us, and Jesus will be to us who we need him to be in whatever situation we are in. And so as you're following Jesus, this means that Jesus goes with you throughout all points of life. You know, Jesus is supposed to go home with you, to be with you in your daily life, in your work, in your play, in your relationships. And so far in Mark's gospel, we've seen that Jesus has entered into two different homes, He entered into the home of Simon Peter, and he healed his mother-in-law of a fever. And then he entered into another home, which we saw last week, where a new skylight was put in, and down lowered in was a paralytic man who had his sins forgiven by Jesus. So Jesus is moving around, and today we're going to see him enter into yet another home, because Jesus is on the move, and Jesus is always on the move. He is preaching with authority from town to town. He's healing and delivering people with his power. Um, we see at this point that huge crowds are beginning to follow Jesus because they're seeing that there is something different about this man, that they are seeing things that they had never experienced before, and so they're amazed by Jesus. But all at the same time, there's these tensions that are beginning to heat up because Jesus has just put himself on the same level as God. 
In last week's text, we saw that Jesus claimed to have authority on earth to forgive sins, and only God can forgive sins, and that's the point. Because Jesus, who is God the Son, is leading with a mission, and it's to save sinners. And that's what Mark's gospel has been showing us, that Jesus is on a mission to save sinners, and he's not fitting into anyone's agenda, certainly not the religious leaders. At this point, he's ruffling quite a few feathers. You know, today we're going to see Jesus call another one of his disciples, and it's going to be an unlikely candidate, one that you wouldn't expect a rabbi to call to himself. And then Jesus is going to enter into another home, and it's going to stir a lot of controversy because of those who he gathered with in that house. And so let's read the portion of God's word together today. It's in Mark chapter 2, beginning at verse 13, and we'll go to verse 17. It says, he went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at a tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is God's word. Verse 13, we read, he went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. So Jesus is ministering in the region of Galilee, and there was a lot of hustle and bustle in this area of Galilee. The cultural climate of that time was very complex. You had the Romans who were the dominant leader of that time, and they occupied this area, but were dividing it up into all these different sections so that they could satisfy political allegiances. And then you had the religious leaders who just hated the Romans, and the Romans weren't too fond of them, but the Romans had pretty much emptied the religious leaders of any power that they had, and yet they were still trying to have control. And so when Jesus shows up, and he brings the kingdom of God, everyone's trying to figure out which boxes Jesus checks. You know, is Jesus in support of Rome? Is Jesus a friend of Herod? Is he a Pharisee? Is he a Sadducee? Is he a scribe? Where is this guy from, and where does he fit into this cultural moment? And still to this day, people are trying to fit Jesus into our cultural moments, trying to figure out which boxes Jesus checks, and he defies that with his kingdom. And so Jesus goes for a walk on the beach. Jesus, it said, went out again beside the sea. He went walking on the beach. That's what Jesus decided to do that day. You see, because Jesus was a preacher who came to proclaim the gospel of God. You know, the kingdom of God was at hand, and Jesus was declaring this everywhere, in the synagogues, 
in markets, in homes, on hillsides, on beaches, because when Jesus arrived to bring the gospel, the good news about his arrival, he took it everywhere. You know, there was no place that Jesus was unwilling to go and no people that Jesus was unwilling to meet. So now we read that Jesus went out again beside the sea, and that's the Sea of Galilee. And why he went there isn't necessarily stated, but I think that Jesus liked to be by the water's edge. You know, I think that as Jesus walked on this beach, he enjoyed creation. For one, because he made it. But two, it just, it gave him pleasure. God's creation gives God pleasure. And so as Jesus is walking on the beach and he's hearing those little waves lap upon the shore of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus is walking and he's talking to his heavenly father. And then crowds begin to gather around and behind him. Because Jesus is becoming more and more recognizable. People are swelling around him as he walks and as he teaches about the kingdom of God. And so you have to be struck by the fact that so far in Mark's gospel, every single week that we've studied Mark, it says that Jesus was teaching. I think we need to understand that because Jesus wants us to increase in knowledge. And teaching of God's word will allow you to increase in knowledge of who God is and also knowledge of who you are. Yet when we increase in knowledge, it's not knowledge for the sake of knowledge, just so you know more, but it's knowledge for the sake of relationship, so that you know him more and he knows you more. And so Jesus has been teaching these crowds. But you have to understand that as this crowd is getting big and many people are wanting to see miracles, they're trying to figure out, again, which boxes he checks, there's going to be some people in the crowd who stop following him because of the things that Jesus teaches. For instance, in John's gospel, it says that as he told them that he was the bread of life, he said, eat my body and drink my blood. And there were some in the crowd that were like, whoa, whoa, this is some difficult stuff. And it said that they no longer followed him. Because Jesus isn't necessarily interested in just having fans, but he wants followers. When you follow Jesus, you have to accept his teaching. You know, he doesn't want admirers, he wants disciples. And so Jesus never intended for us to be a sermon appreciation society. He intended that we would be a church, that when we receive and accept the teachings of Jesus, we not only hear them, but we also become doers of them. And so as Jesus walked the earth, he walked with a purpose. He walked, and, and Guys, I get the sense that as when Jesus walked around, he was fully aware of his surroundings. He noticed the birds and the trees and the waves. He would often use them as sermon illustrations. But even more so, Jesus, when he walked the earth with purpose, he was fully aware of people. 
There was nobody that Jesus would bypass without having care or concern. Jesus was the kind of person who would take notice of you. And all of you guys understand that. All of you guys understand that it feels good for somebody to take notice of you. It feels good when somebody knows your name. And as a pastor, I'm really trying to be aware of my surroundings and to be aware of people and to know your names and for you to know mine and for us to build a community being fully aware of our surroundings. And Jesus was so good at this. You know, Jesus, I, I, I see him as the kind of person where he could just look at you and know what was going on. For some of you, you might think, well, that's not too hard to do because I wear all of my emotions out on my sleeve. So it's like, you know, but for others of us, we're really good at hiding our stuff. And Jesus, your stuff is not hidden from Jesus. Jesus is really good at noticing what's going on in your life. For instance, he perceived the woman at the well that she was isolated and she was hurting. He perceived even the grumbling hearts and minds of the religious leaders. They didn't even say anything and he knew what they were thinking. Jesus, when he was in the midst of this crowd that was tugging and pulling on him, he noticed when power went out from him as a woman who had a flow of blood touched out and reached the hem of his garment and was healed. Jesus was aware when the bottom tassel of his robe was touched. You know, Jesus is fully aware of his surroundings because he wants to minister to people. So verse 14, as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at a tax booth, and he said to him, follow me, and he rose and followed him. So a lot is going on right here. Jesus is in this crowded fishing port in Capernaum. There's people coming in from a day's fish. People are buying and selling goods. And there's this crowd that's walking behind Jesus as he's teaching them. And maybe he's pointing to a day's catch of fish and likening it to the kingdom. And as Jesus is walking with this crowd in a fishing port in Capernaum, it says that he passed by and he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at a tax booth. Again, being fully aware, being led by the Spirit, Jesus sees this man. And you know, I think sometimes people think that God just passes them by. When it says that Jesus passed by, it's not that he passed by, it's, it's that he, he saw, he watched as he passed by. See, God takes notice of you in the things that you're going through. He doesn't pass you by. So if you feel forgotten, if you feel left behind by God, I'll tell you today, Jesus is aware of your situation. He has not forgotten. He has not left you. He has not passed you by. He wants a relationship with you today, and you can follow him. You know, as Jesus passed by, it says he saw Levi, a man that everyone else wished that they could just pass by without noticing. A man that they could have been totally fine if he was not around. You see, Levi was a tax collector. He sat at his booth in Capernaum and he would collect taxes from the Jewish people on just about everything. 
You remember the Romans were occupying at this time and Capernaum was part of a trade route and the tax collectors made sure that Rome got their cut. They made sure that whatever the Jewish people brought in, that Rome was getting their money. But the unique thing is that Levi was Jewish. See, he was a Jewish man that had betrayed his own countrymen to work for Rome and was taxing his own people. And oftentimes, as a betrayer, as a traitor, tax collectors would charge more than what Rome wanted so that they could skim off the top and get rich quick. So the Jewish people saw tax collectors as like greatly despised. I mean, the Romans even saw them as disgraceful people, as social outcasts. And so when Jesus saw him, he saw a tax collector. Nobody else would have looked at a tax collector and seen anything in him. Everyone wanted to pass by the tax collector without being bothered by those, let's just say they they call them like scum. But Jesus saw him and he saw what he could make of him. Jesus was seeing what no one else would have ever seen in a tax collector, and he called him. He said to Levi, son of Alphaeus, the man later known as Matthew, who wrote one of the four gospels, he said, follow me. And Jesus has already called four fishermen. He he said those same words, follow me, to Peter and Andrew and James and John. And no doubt that those four guys were with Jesus in this moment. And I imagine as Jesus said those words, follow me to a tax collector, that those guys probably had some internal objections in their heart. Like, wait, Jesus, you're asking this guy to join our group? You're asking this guy to be part of our team and our crew? Yeah, because Jesus wanted him. Jesus called Levi because Jesus wanted him. And when Jesus calls you, it's because he wants you. And it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks about you. It doesn't matter if in your life you've never been wanted by anyone. Because I tell you today, Jesus sees you, he wants you, and he's calling you into a relationship. He is calling you to follow him. This church is an invitation for anyone to come in here and to follow Jesus. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you think people might think about you if you're part of this community here. If Jesus sees you, he wants you, and he wants you to follow him. And that's what Levi did. Like in that moment, he dropped everything to follow Jesus. Mark's trying to show us about the way that Jesus drew people to himself. When Jesus calls a person, Jesus calls them to commitment. You know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says that when Jesus calls a man, he bids him to come and die. Jesus said, if anyone wants to be my follower, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. He also said, he who sets his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. So when Jesus calls a person, he calls them to forward motion from that point on. He calls them into relationship where they will follow in his likeness. 
And look, guys, we're going to make mistakes along the way in our discipleship with Jesus. As we seek to follow Jesus, we will have our stumblings, but Jesus is calling us, if you're his disciple, to leave behind your old way of living and to enter into a new way of living. That's what it means to follow Jesus. You, you've been given a new identity for you to walk in. And there are many things in our lives that when Jesus calls us, we get to still keep. You know, there's things that we don't necessarily have to give up as soon as we start walking with Jesus. But if you understand discipleship with Jesus, you have to understand something. That if Jesus calls you to follow him, you need to know that there might be things that Jesus is gonna ask you to give up. There might be things that you are gonna have to leave behind in a pursuit of following Jesus. Now, I'm not gonna get specific on what those things might be because here's what I think. I think that if you're following Jesus, you can work that out in your own relationship with Jesus as you follow him. There are gonna be things that Jesus might ask one person to leave that he's not gonna ask another person to leave. But there are things in our lives that if we're followers of Jesus, he might ask us to sacrifice. He might ask us to lay it down. For, for the four fishermen, those guys went back to fishing multiple times after following Jesus. But for Levi, that tax booth was not gonna be back there in three months. Once he left that booth, it was done. His occupation was over. So we need to understand that when we follow Jesus, there might be things that we have to give up. And in my life, the things that I have left behind to follow Jesus, what I have gained in Jesus has far outweighed anything that I've ever given up for him. Maybe the Spirit's speaking to you right now about what you feel that you need to give up for Jesus in order that you might follow him more closely. Verse 15 says, and as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. So this is where we see Jesus enter into another house. Now, whether it was Jesus' house or Levi's house, we don't really know, but what it says is that he was gathered with a lot of people. It suggested that this was like a going away party for Matthew, for Levi, and there was a bunch of his friends that were there. There was food and there was drink. Jesus was there. His disciples were there, and it says that many tax collectors and sinners were there. And it talks about the position and the posture of Jesus at this house. It says that he was reclined at the table, meaning that Jesus was like hanging out with these people. He was chilling. He was, in that time, sitting at a low table with pillows on the floor, kind of on his left elbow, dipping his hands in, sharing the same bowl, sharing the same drink, enjoying a meal, enjoying life with tax collectors and sinners. This is what stirred up some controversy. Why? Because Jesus was associating himself with the people that, that if you were holy, if you were righteous, what business do you have with these people? I mean, these are, these are the lowest of the low. These are the people that were considered, considered unworthy. These are the people that were vile. These 
sinners. And, and Mark understands theologically that we have all sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. And I hope theologically you understand that, that you have sinned, that you are a sinner if you are a human being. But what Mark is trying to point out is that these sinners that Jesus was with were those that would sin publicly and flagrantly. These were the, the prostitutes. These were the thieves. These were the drunkards. These were the people that were publicly notorious as being sinners. And Jesus is reclining with them, lying down on a floor, laughing and sharing a meal. And this party was happening. And I think it was because it says that the religious leaders noticed it. This wasn't some quiet little party. This was a party where the religious leaders, I assume, in passing by noticed something was going on and saw that Jesus was in the midst of it and began to question him. So take a look, verse 16. It says, And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to the Pharisees, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? So I think you're starting to see that Jesus doesn't check all the boxes. You know, Jesus came with the kingdom. He came with the good news, the message of God's love and mercy for all people. And the religious leaders have already noticed that Jesus is stirring up uh, some controversy. They already saw that he claimed to have authority to forgive sins. The theological red flags are going up for these, uh, for these Pharisees. They're questioning his doctrine. They've seen him heal and deliver, and, and clearly Jesus has power that they don't possess, and so I think that they're getting pretty jealous. They're beginning to envy Jesus, and Jesus is associating with people that is offending the Pharisees' self-righteousness, and so they question his character. The scribes of the Pharisees, this kind of elite group, pull Jesus' disciples away and ask him, why is he eating with tax collectors and sinners? And thankfully, we don't have the disciples' response recorded. We have Jesus' response recorded. You know, Jesus overheard their question, got up from the table, walked over, and answered for himself, told him why he was doing these things. And you know what this tells me about Jesus? This tells me that Jesus is really good at guarding his own reputation. So often we think that we need to guard the reputation of Jesus. Jesus is perfectly fine doing it himself. And often he's so much better at guarding our reputations as his disciples. So as disciples seek to live like Jesus lived, trust me guys, it is not gonna be friendly with the world but Jesus is very good at guarding your reputation. And so Jesus answers to these people about his actions in verse 17. And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So the religious leaders eventually give Jesus a name to mock him with. They called him friend of sinners. I think that Jesus took that title as a compliment. I think that Jesus 
enjoyed being called the friend of sinners. I'm certainly thankful that that is a title that he's been given because you know what? We wouldn't be able to gather in this room today if Jesus wasn't a friend of sinners. And so the Pharisees are questioning him because they're saying this teacher, this man who, if you want to be holy, like if you want to be righteous, you got to be separate from sin. And there's some truth in that. There's totally truth in that. If you want to live a holy and righteous life, you have to be, separate yourself from sin. And you see, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, started out with really great intentions. In fact, the word Pharisee, the name Pharisee, means separate ones. And they started out as this like back to the Bible movement where they wanted to have the word of God at the center of their corporate worship. They wanted to live holy and righteous lives. But soon what they did in order to try to do that is they looked within themselves to try to accomplish this. They they avoided sin, which is really hard to do by the way. They avoided it by adding rules to the rules, and then rules for those rules, and rules upon rules that ended up being unbearable. And Jesus hears their questioning, and he says to them, come here. I came as a physician, not for those who are well, but for those who are sick. And in Matthew's gospel, he adds something else to that. He says, I want you to go and learn what this means. He says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You know, we would all do very well to leave here today and go and learn what that means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. See, in a quest for holiness, the Pharisees forgot that God is also merciful, that he's also forgiving. And in their self-righteousness, they walked around in like these crowded markets and they would hold their robes in so tightly because if the hem of their garment were to brush up against a Gentile or a sinner, they themselves would become defiled. Anything from that outside that touched them would defile them with sin. And Jesus came into the marketplaces and he touched people. He was fully aware of his surroundings. The hem of his garment, he wanted to cover people in his robes of righteousness and so he was not afraid to come in contact with anybody. Because defilement doesn't come from the outside, defilement comes from the inside. And so Jesus calls them out. Yeah, I'm hanging out with sinners. That's who I came for, that is my mission. And you see, the Pharisees thought that anyone that doesn't share my same beliefs, anyone that doesn't share my same practices and have my same systems, they are a sinner. And they trusted in their own right beliefs, their own right practices, they were fixated on being right, they were right in their own sight, and so they were self-righteous. And Jesus is not only... He's associating, but not just like associating, he is reclining at table with sinners. He is loving them, lavishing them in his kindness, in his mercy, bringing healing to their greatest need. And so Jesus was enjoying life with them. As we end here, Jesus says, those who are well have no need of a 
of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I love that our worship pastor is a physician, and he left this group today, the 99, to go take care of the one who had an emergency surgery that needed to take place. Like, that is what Jesus came to do. He came to go for those who are sick, not for those who are well. And if you are well, if Jesus has made you well, well by his blood and by his righteousness that has been gifted to you, we are called to do the same thing. We are called to go out and to be like Jesus, being among those who are sick. This is the mi mission of Jesus. Now, we all understand that as a, going to a doctor, you don't go to a doctor unless you're sick. And you have to realize that you're sick if you're going to go see a doctor. You know, we go for routine checkups and everything, and this is good, but for the most part, when we go see a doctor, it's because we need them to care for our sickness in order to make us well. And so Jesus is plainly using this as an illustration, as a role for who he is. And so I guess the first thing you need to do is you need to realize that you are sick. Jesus is telling the Pharisees who are self-righteous in their hypocritical thinking that they need to realize that there is something actually wrong with them. And for them, what they're missing is that what is wrong with them is that they have pride, which is one of the most dangerous sicknesses because it flies under the radar. The symptoms might not show on the outside, but inside you are dying because of pride, not realizing that you do need God. You see, we all suffer from the same disease, and it is called sin. And we all have different symptoms called sins. You know what a symptom is meant to do, right? A symptom is meant to show you you are sick, right? If you have a fever or if you have a cough or you have anything like that, it's meant to show you there is something wrong and you need a doctor, so I don't know what your specific symptom might be, but it's meant to point you to Jesus that you might become well by him. For Levi, it was greed. For the religious leaders, it was pride. For another, it might have been sexual immorality or drunkenness or any other thing, because there's a lot of different symptoms, but they're all sin. And Jesus came to heal sin. Now, Jesus wants to heal sickness. He wants to heal sin. That's what he came to do when he came to die on a cross. He was buried, and three days later, he rose from the dead. And this message, this gospel news, is meant to heal us. But here's what can happen. First, you might not realize that you are sick. The symptoms that you have aren't serious enough for you to realize that you have a disease that is going to kill you if you don't receive treatment. There are people who do not see themselves as sick and so they don't feel that they need a doctor. They don't feel that they need Jesus. The second thing that can be the case is that you realize that you're sick and you also realize that you need treatment but you don't know of a physician to go to. You don't have a doctor. And, and so you might think that there's other ways or other places that you can go to find a cure for sickness, but people need to realize that if they are sick with sin, that only Jesus can help them. I want to refer you to Dr. Jesus today if you don't know him. 
Third thing, you might know about Jesus, the great physician. You might know that he has a cure for sin, but you don't want to go see him. You're refusing to receive treatment from him, whether it's because you think that you have some better way to treat yourself or you're just fine living with the illness. There are people who realize that they're sick with sin, but they don't want to go to Jesus for help. And then the last thing is that you know you're sick with sin, you know that Jesus is the great physician, that he has a cure, that he's able to treat you, and so you will gladly go to Jesus, the physician, that he might be able to help you. And when you come to Jesus, he has a cure. It's his own blood which he shed upon a cross that washes you white as snow. He removes your sin as far as the east is from the west. Jesus is a great physician. He knows all the symptoms, and he's able to point out how those symptoms point to the root issue, and he can cure it by what he did on the cross. Jesus loves sinners, and he loves us too much to keep us in our sin. Jesus loves us too much in his mercy and grace that he wants to heal us of our sin in order that we might be righteous and holy. Not from within ourselves like the religious leaders, but from above, from Jesus and what he offers to us. And so if this is a day when you realize that you need Jesus, you need him to be your physician, just go see Jesus. You don't need an appointment. You don't need insurance. You don't gotta bandage yourself up first. You don't even have to pay the bill. Just go see Jesus, and he'll take care of it all, amen? Amen. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your kindness and your mercy that you love sinners. God, for those of us who have been made well by the blood of the cross, I ask, Lord, that we would be like you. We would be doers of your teaching and go and find ourselves among those who are sick, that they might be referred to the physician. God, thank you for the fact that you notice every single person in this room. You're fully aware of your surroundings and you are present. And you're willing to forgive sins if anybody calls out upon you today to say, I need help. I need help. That's all you have to say. All you have to say is, I've got these symptoms in my life and I don't know what the issue is, but I don't like these symptoms. I think I'm sick. I believe I need a cure, I believe I need help, and you call out upon Jesus as the great physician and he heals you. With all heads bowed and eyes closed as we continue praying, is there anybody in this room this morning who realizes that they need to see Jesus, that they need him to cure their sin sickness? It's producing all kinds of death in you and you want forgiveness of your sins today. Would you just raise your hand up over your head so I could know that I need to pray for you? Praise the Lord. See you back there, buddy. Praise God. Lord Jesus, thank you for that hand in the back raised, that young man. God, meet him. Be his pediatrician, Jesus.
God, for all of us who have been made well because we've gone to the source of healing, Jesus, would you be near to us, and would you make us ambassadors of reconciliation? Would you make us those who go to a lost and dying and sin-sick world and bring this good news, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's worship.